Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Wendy. I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, a man uh, known as Antonio, um, <laughs> but just, if I just check my notes, he's from Mill Hill, London, England. <laughs> uh, Bardi, hello, Bardi. Buonasera, Wendy. Buonasera, buonasera. And our tactics guy and bounce pass boy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> hello, Wendy. We'll talk about bounce passes in a minute. Um... Well done, Bardi. Well done. Well, I would like to take some credit, but I didn't actually do anything. It was um, a superior technician, superior technician, superior manager, and a superior game plan that, that actually done it for, for us. I was going to wax lyrical about them, but I don't want to anymore after that. After that triumphant tirade. <laughs> uh, no, I look, they were brilliant. The, the, the better team on the day one, absolutely. Really liked watching Italy... Um, I really thought their substitutions were spot on. Verratti was absolutely incredible. Um, but I was so sad. I felt so sad. I felt so sad all day, all night. Um, and then when I woke up this morning, the first thing I saw when I checked my phone was the racist messages that some of our heroes, and I will call them heroes, I think they are genuinely heroic in some of their um, social justice work. Uh, having a social conscience, uh, the treatment of them by some, a small but unfortunately vocal majority just made me really, really sad after this sort of few weeks of hope we've had with um, this lovely team and their their wonderful leader, Gareth Southgate. Nathan, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. <laughs> You're over it. I, uh, I, uh, I, 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 um... I never expected England to win the final. I thought we were massive underdogs, or should have been massive underdogs. So I, I, I took the 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 victory in the semi final was my victory, and I was happy. And 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 yesterday was just the the after party. So that was kind of my mentality. And then of course, like we score and we go up, and it gives me a bit of hope, and then crushes that hope because that's what football is like. But for the most part, I was. I thought we had like for me it it's very very big picture with England because like all my life I grew up almost exclusively watching the golden generation get knocked out in the round <laughs> of 16 right tournament after tournament just the really tactical misclass really underperforming huge enormous media pressure and the effect that has and all of that and now uh, and the end of that is Hodgson who I think is is over criticized and under celebrated because I think things started to improve a little bit w- with him uh, and and like yeah it's disappointing to lose the final because you believe for a minute that, that that you can win it but like I think that England have so dramatically improved over the last five years I'm just so happy about that like we are we're going through our our Pochettino phase right yeah. we're we're on the, that cusp and, and things are so much better and the mentality around so many things around England has, has improved so much it's no longer about cliques and, and clubs it, it's no longer so much of the pressure has been thrown off and it's so much more celebratory um 
It's so much more about a team effort and less about stars and individuals. And maybe in the end that went too far tactically. Um, but I, I'm just really happy about the, the tournament, about the run and about future tournaments and about the crop of players that we have. So um, I'm really far from, from disappointed. Uh, that's a very refreshing attitude. And I think in a few days time, I'll be feeling exactly the same. Uh, the problem for me is, you know, after I've been, been very open about how I've been feeling about Spurs over the last 18 months, um, what COVID did to my relationship with Spurs and more importantly, what Jose Mourinho did to my relationship with Spurs. Um, and I've always been massively club over country. Mm-hmm. Like I did not understand how people could get so into England for many, many <laughs> years. And, and this seat, this this summer, they did make me fall in love with them. They really did. They, they won my heart truly, not just from being a bunch of great players who I really admire, but from being good people. And that's so important to me. And um, I, I fell hooked on Sinker and I really wanted them to do it for them. I, want, I just so wanted them to have something tangible to show for it. And, but you're right, they have. They have. There's so much progress there. There's, this is the first time we made a final in, was it, 55 years? I mean, for God's <laughs> yeah. sake, it's such a huge achievement that it shouldn't be overlooked. Um, but we need to stop talking about England and, and allow Bardi to celebrate Italy a bit. So, Bardi, this one is from Bat Merton. He's and Moby Spurs. Uh, ask Bardi what it feels like to win something important, and is it as fun as he thought it might be? <coughs> oh, poor Bardi! I mean, we should say that poor Bardi has caught COVID from going to the the semi final. We'll talk about that in a minute as well. It's it, it is amazing to to win something, and I, I everything building up to this final it was tinged with uh, that. I know you two and a lot of my other friends would be suffering that if Italy won, and I would. It is tinged because I can't. I can't go full in. I don't feel like I can go full in because I don't want to upset you. I don't want to offend you. Last night on Twitter, I had to stop and think about what I was going to tweet because... <laughs> it's the first time for you. <laughs> You've grown. You've grown. I have grown. I have grown. And I, I had to think about it. And Because the thing is, like you kind of experienced, but the opposite way, is that the, the pressure builds over the weeks and all of a sudden Italy start playing well. We get to the final and then... As someone living in England and an English person but an Italian fan, you have to kind of put up with all the it's coming home, it's coming home. And every time I try and flag, look, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit unsure about this England team. I don't think you're as good as you as you think you are. And um after two minutes on um after two minutes on Sunday I was thinking, Holy shit. <laughs> they are maybe they're better than I than I thought they were. But thankfully, um, they reverted to type and they did the best thing you could do when you're playing this Italy team. They gave us the ball. Mm. And the moment England dropped off, it was just a question of time. And I'm disappointed we didn't win it in extra time, in full, in 90 minutes, because I think we deserve that. And, you know, penalties remain a lottery. Jorginho is one of the best penalty takers in the world and he missed. So it does show that it is still a bit of a lottery and we could have lost that. And I think we probably deserve to win it on 90 minutes. And what it feels like, it's it's amazing. It's, it's an easy thing to say, but it truly is. It's a release of tension. It's a moment of celebration where you celebrate your with your with your family, your friends. My dad's on the phone to me. My sister's on the phone to me. And it's great. And it's such a lovely thing. And I'm, I hope that I get to share something like this with Tottenham, with you guys. And that's really what I, I'm looking for. I've won the World Cup now. I've won the Euros. 
let's win the the Nations League this this autumn and then let's win the Champions League with Tottenham and that would be brilliant and I can retire from watching football safe in the knowledge that there's no more joy that it can bring to me <laughs> God it would be so good wouldn't it wouldn't it be so be... good to win something proper keep it us us lot nice people none of these idiots sticking flares up their bum and <laughs> the rest of it storming gates us nice people winning the Champions League would be fantastic <laughs> um, Barty you're, you're really suffering with um, with Covid uh, Luke yeah Luke W95 says, is Barley okay COVID-wise and could he not taste or smell the sweet victory because of it? <laughs> it it did take it. It took the edge off the whole day because I wasn't able to enjoy it. I wasn't able to relax and settle down. I, I had never planned. I, went, I hadn't planned to go to the final because um, just I just thought it would be a mess, which it turned out to be. But then opportunities came up on the on the Friday, the Friday evening to get tickets and I... I had COVID. I couldn't go. I got, I'm, I'm a response, a responsible person, even though I caught it in the first place. I'm a responsible person. I'm not going to go. Plus, physically, I wasn't up to it. So it did take away from it. Um, we opened a bottle of champagne and I could only really drink a glass and a half. And I ended up going to bed. I couldn't, we watched a bit of Italian TV, but I couldn't really enjoy the aftermath of it because I was feeling so shit. And, you know, that's, that's on me. It's on me catching COVID. And I think at this moment where cases are rising and everything's happening, people need to take a little bit of self-responsibility and perhaps me going to a stadium with 60,000 people where there's no social distancing, there's no um, safeguards in place was a bit was a bit kind of immature maybe or irresponsible. So um, Do you regret it? Do I? Um, it's very difficult to say that because I witnessed an incredible game against Spain. Mm. But today, right now, with the thought that I could pass it on to my wife, of luckily we have a, a we have a nine week old puppy, which we're wait she's waiting to get her second jab. So my dad's not been around, able to come around, and my sisters can't come around because they've got their own dogs, and they would normally bring their dogs. So I've been able to isolate myself from them. But um, I do think it was probably a bit of a stupid decision to go there, and it was probably a bit of a stupid decision to watch the entire game without a mask on. Maybe I should have done that, but then perhaps. I would have caught it anyway, who knows. But I definitely think the the government needs to have a think about what they did this tournament by allowing these mass gatherings because I'm I'm really suffering today and I'm a, I'm a pretty healthy person and God knows what it would do to if someone catches it from the football who who aren't who aren't as healthy as me. So do I regret it a little bit? Yeah, I do. You've had your first jab but not your second, right? Yeah, I've got, I was planning uh, my second one was in a week's time. And um, what have your symptoms been so far? So um I on Thursday, I was in a meeting and my, my manager goes to me, you're, you're coughing a little bit. And I hadn't noticed it. And then I did. I realized that every every hour or so, or every half an hour, just <coughs> a little cough came out of nowhere. And then Friday, I just felt hot and a bit sweaty. And then Saturday morning, I woke up and I felt like I'd been punched in the head. And every my body was moving in slow motion. My joints were aching. The cough had got worse. My nose had blocked. And it was just, it, like they say, a really, really bad flu. And even though I took a home test and it came out negative, I, I thought I'd better go and get a proper test. So I went and did the proper test. It was really easy to do. They're close to everybody. I recommend that if you've got a cough and you've been in a large group or something, go and go and do it. I did that. 24 hours later, I got the results back that I was positive and And now I've been following all the guidance and 
um, filling in everything on the app, trying to um, trace him where I've been, which is Wembley. That's it. I haven't been anywhere else, so it can only be Wembley. And um, just trying to keep as much social distance with my wife as possible because I don't want her to catch it because obviously she gets it and then I clear up. I've got to do another 10 days isolation. Didn't think of that. So I'm in isolation until until Sunday, which is pretty shit. Oh, get well soon, mate. Um, yeah, I hope you feel better so you can actually enjoy enjoy Italy's um, Italy's victory. Um, we should talk about Nathan's video, the, the first Nuno video uh, about his time with Valencia. Yeah, any uh, <laughs> any any questions? It's really good stuff. I I learnt loads. I obviously had never seen Nuno's Valencia team before, or not knowingly anyway. Perhaps I did at the time, but forgotten. Um, Interesting to see the tactical setup. Interesting to see um, that he probably wasn't as good as people might have led you to believe initially, and then pretty certainly good. not as bad as people led you to believe by the end. Mm. Um, just pretty solid performance, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you want to do sort of the overarching thing, so obviously I want to do Porto and I want to do Wolves. I don't know if that's going to be two different videos or one video combined, and I want to sort of maybe look ahead, but to sort of like spoiler alert the whole thing my kind of feeling with Nuno is that like probably had sort of the fourth best squads when he took Valencia to fourth he probably had a top two squads when he took Porto to second he probably had the best he definitely had the best Mm -hmm. championship side Mm -hmm. when he had Wolves in the championship and then maybe maybe Wolves to seventh is an overachievement but not a massive one so I think I'm beginning to place Nuno as the kind of manager who isn't making a team better than some of its parts but can match that um, and everyone's sort of having a good time along the way and the football's decent to watch and he's a likeable guy so I think if you want to start looking ahead and, and cut out sort of <laughs> at least another video's worth of content then what I'm saying is that like couple of years a fourth and a fifth place decent times and then we look forward to to maybe Pochettino comes back or there's someone else on the horizon or whatever else and, I, and I'm, I'm I'm you could say like oh that's a waste of the next two years of Harry Kane's life but I don't think that that's a healthy way to to be trying to run your football club um so yeah yeah <laughs> my well, feelings and Nuno are sort of okay yeah decent but but Nathan there's a thing there isn't there like if we do hang on to Harry Kane and Nuno is sort of making a team roughly even to what it should be Harry Kane has an incredible season and suddenly that team's elevated suddenly that sure. team can can achieve more than so Nuno puts in place tactic style personnel that allow us to be a solid fourth Harry Kane has a Harry Kane season and we can finish third or second. I'm, I, I'm not going to tell you no, but I just watched Harry Kane sort of sluggishly crawl through the mud twice a week <laughs> for England um, on a summer where he should have been resting. So I think sure. Kane needs another rest that he's not going to get. Or alternatively, for that reason, we accept 120 million bid from City and, and <laughs> begin yeah. a long, painful process of rebuilding without him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I am... Um, the thing, like... That tournament has been such like a strong example of like, here's Harry Kane. He can't move very well, but when he does get the ball, he can do wonders with it. He can do wonders with it inside the box and outside the box. He can do wonders with it in terms of shooting, wonders in terms of creating, in terms of holding and dribbling and all that kind of stuff. But his ability to get onto the ball by getting separation from defenders... I mean, it was good last season for a, for a, for a good while because he had that rest, but he just needs... He needs three months off a year and he's getting three days off a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point. It's a really good point. Um, and Nathan, what's a bounce pass? 
<laughs> so a bounce pass this is the thing and I, I mentioned to you this before recording but like a bounce pass is also known as a wall pass or you could call it a one two but only in certain circumstances or you could call it a layoff but a bounce pass is um specifically within Nuno's team in Valencia is that a player will have set on the ball and he's ready to make a play and whether that play is a pass or a dribble or whatever else um he then plays a single pass to a player that player immediately first touch plays it either back to where it's come from or in a sort of a triangular motion to a third player and that's the balance right it's a quick two pass combination a bounce pass and i wasn't sure when i was about to record the video should i call them a bounce should i call it a one two should i call it a let whatever and then in the video of nuno's very first training session the second drill they show us is i think ian castro shouting bounce 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 pass bounce pass let's have some bounce balls lads bounce as they're doing like a bounce pass drill so uh i, I stumbled on the right choice there i think for sure, absolutely. And I think one two doesn't quite cut it because it can be used in so many other ways as well. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas bounce pass is is much more specific. Uh, so yeah, I learned something there as well. Um, let's, let's let's just go all over the place in this podcast. Bit of England, bit of Spurs, mm. bit of Italy. Um, Bardi, this one is from a dirty orange. What do we think Harry Kane's mindset will be going into Spurs' first season with Nuno and the European Conference League after a long but ultimately disappointed Euro 2020 campaign? Will the loss in the final further motivate him to push for a move to another club? I think at the end of the game, I think Harry settled on the realisation that he's going to end his career as the greatest footballer never to win anything. <laughs> and I, th- I think if you're going to if you're not going to achieve something achieve the very top of whatever that is so if you're going to get relegated be the the worst team to ever get relegated so I think Harry Kane he he realises now that his his future's with us because we're intertwined he is Tottenham just as we're Tottenham he is Tottenham just like us and you could take him out of the Tottenham team and remove all the Spursiness and everything else and put him in an England team with Sterling, with um, Saka, with Maguire, who was absolutely exceptional throughout the tournament. And he still doesn't win anything. So, Harry, just just accept it. Stay with Spurs. Become our record ever goal scorer and die a Tottenham legend and with, with your statue. I kind of made the comparison earlier with saying that Southgate is our Pochettino era, but to be an English Spurs fan is to basically support the same team all year yes. round. It really is the same experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why I'm surprised I'm so down because you just thought after many years' experience of feeling this way that I would just bounce back. And, I, I, you know, with Spurs, I have bounced back relatively quickly in recent years, but I found this one hard to swallow. Um, I thought Kane was. I thought Kane was excellent the first thirty minutes. I thought obviously his part in the goal. I thought the way he was taking the ball and controlling it and bringing others into play. While and when England put players around him and close to him, I thought he was great. Mm. Um, but as the gaps started opening up and England started dropping deeper, Kane he can't do it all by himself, man. He's not Messi. He's not. He's not, he's not Ronaldo. He needs support and he needs help and he needs those those legs working off him. But Sterling was starting from such a deep position that I. I did feel for Kane because he really, really tried. Yeah, can't disagree with that. I thought we had a, a solid first half and then was pretty patchy after that. Um, Problems Dog says, given the impressive run to the final, should we reevaluate Southgate as a manager or is the England job too different to translate his achievements into club success? Not suggesting we get him at Spurs. Um, I, I do think it's, I do think it's too different personally. I think they're completely, it's almost a different sport in the way the time you get with the players is totally different. It just, it just is. It's a different job. It's a different type of job. Um, Who was it? I think, I forget which writer it was. Someone was right, wrote an article in which they said 
that oh god I should I want to be able to remember so I can credit them they basically said that this is a very simplified version of the game it's a very sort of puritanical yeah. version of football because there aren't mm. these these t- deep tactical systems and and that's why some people enjoy it more as a as a as a sporting event every couple of years um and I think I think there's a lot of truth in that I, I really do and I think Southgate is incredibly well suited to it and I think um I wouldn't trust him in club management because we've we've only seen him do quite poorly in club management, whereas now we've seen him consistently do quite well in tournament international football. I think among the best teams over the last what's it twenty years of, of of international football, you've had the sides who have um, sort of captured what international football is to its maximum and that's the Portuguese winning side that's the champs France and it's very reactive it's defense first it's one nil wins it's um sluggish football and then you have the sides who have managed to synthesize club football in some small way and I think that's Germany I think that's been Spain at their best and I think that that has been Italy under Mancini Mm -hmm. um that's that probably Mancini's Italy is the closest I've seen to like club football on the international uh stage so far. Um, and Southgate for me is very much more of the France Portugal, sure, um, maximizing what international football is, uh, putting a mirror back on international football and saying, uh, there's a strong chance I think that England have just ruined international football forever because now two defensive midfielders is going to be the norm and it's going to, there's never going to, there's going to be no more goals. It's good to, you know, so I think, I think that Southgate's done a tremendous job, um, and he can carry on doing that tremendous job. I think that club football would be poor for him and he'd be poor for club football. It's a bit like, like with Zidane. Zidane should have uh, yeah. won the Champions League and retired from management. Southgate should persist with, with the World Cup. Yeah. If that doesn't work out, maybe one more after that. If that doesn't work out, retire. If you win it, retire. If it goes well, retire. If it goes badly, retire. And just say, this is my work and I am done. And not try to make the really difficult transition over into what is a pretty much a different sport in club football. Um, but, you know, I massive respect him. He's doing and has done incredible work, but stay away from club football is my recommendation. Yes, yes, agreed. Go on, buddy. I think I think Southgate has had a good tournament. I think when he came in 2018, he he changed expectation levels and he found something that worked. And he he got to the semi final and then the league League of Nations final, and he's got to a final here. But my question is, I'm not sure whether he has enough um, goodwill to go to a World Cup and play like that again. I think I think his I think his mistreatment of Grealish was bordering on I don't know psychotic how he misused him I thought his use of use of Saka as well was strange I thought not taking what's the point in taking Bellingham I uh, I think we had this argument before Wendy about young players and the Italy squad being a lot older than the England squad I think why take Bellingham and just not play him you're better off taking a personality perhaps someone in, in the changing room take an older more experienced player I just think he needs to stop trying to be France light, Portugal light. Go with, go there and use these great technical players and hold the ball, pass the ball, and be a better football team. If he goes to if he goes to um, Qatar and they get knocked out in the last sixteen, last quarterfinals in the same playing the same style, then he will ruin his legacy. He needs to change. I think he might actually retire. I think he might quit international football. I just there was something in his eyes where I thought he just had enough last night. I, I I would be surprised if he left. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, can, I, I honestly, maybe. I think I can see him doing the job for a long time. If he, if he if he carry, I mean, he's got to a final this time round. 
if we do well at the World Cup, say semi-finals, I think he'll be seen, that'll be seen as a success, and he could, he, he could then get two is, or three more tournaments. I don't think it is a success now because now it's about building momentum and to get to another semi-final again. I mean, he's uh, Russia was a, a golden opportunity because that run to the semis was was pretty nice. The run England had this time was pretty nice. And I, I think I think he should have got to the final in the World Cup. But the problem for me is he lost against Croatia, and he lost against Italy in virtually the same manner, and he hasn't hasn't learned how to how to cope when the the tide swings against him. And I think that's something he needs to address pretty fast. I think I think that's interesting. I think that's I I I I stand by um, the decisions he's made so far. The sort of ironically like the risk to become risk averse. I think yeah, that, that is yeah. has paid off well so far. But I uh, so I, I stand by that. But I think that I agree that now and looking ahead to the next now is now yeah. is the time to sort of now that bedrock exists and now that you can switch to that and now that you can have some confidence in that now play like Grealish and or Sancho <laughs> on a regular basis and, and start to open things up. Now bring Henderson off early and now bring Bellingham into the mm-hmm. frame and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and start doing that. And I think that we we needed to have made those changes in the final earlier. Yes, um, yeah. But, but there you go. I think there is a really good point um, around Bellingham there in particular. Um, had, had he come on in one of the earlier games and Southgate sort of had had a bit more of a look at him and felt more confident that I think mm-hmm. he would have come on in the final rather than rather than um, Jordan Henderson and I think that would have improved us immeasurably as a team. Like, Henderson was absolutely shocking when he came on. Oh. Really, I, I like Henderson a lot, but he was absolutely shocking. Really, really rough performance. And and I, so I think there's definitely something in that. I think also Grealish. I was calling for him to be brought on earlier. I like Mount a lot. I didn't think Mount had a very effective game. But the, the biggest mistake in my eyes from Southgate is is letting Saka take that last penalty. I mean, as a man who's been through that himself, who knows how heavy that responsibility weighs on you and can tear away at your your whole life, your your entire being, to put a nineteen year old kid in that position. Nineteen year old black kid, let's say, because we we've seen the we've seen the abuse Tad for missing. I just think that was such a terrible mistake. And I understand like not putting Sterling there as well because, well, for the same reasons, and Sterling would have just been torn down had he missed. Um, but Grealish has said on social media today, I offered to take one. And we know that Grealish is like this ultra-confident, cocky guy who who has broad shoulders. And I feel like it would have been a lot more sensible as a, as a, as a more sort of experienced older player I think it would have been more sensible for Grealish or Stones or Shaw to have taken that um, that last penalty rather than putting it on the shoulders of 19 year old Saka would you go um, Kane penalty one or penalty five yeah I thought that was strange as well Kane penalty one I can see I understand you want to get off to a good start I completely understand that but normally it's three and four the pressure penalties right they're, they're the ones yeah. you, you want I would have had Kane penalty three or four personally mm. um but I, I, I see as well that you want to get a good start. And look, from Southgate's perspective, they've done a lot of work on penalties and training. And so he picked the players that perform best in training. And to some degree, that's like an evidence-based methodology. And I, I sort of see what he's doing. But there's more to it than that. Is There's, you know, there's 60,000 people in the stadium, but there's 27 million people watching at home. And that's a, that's a lot to deal with. And like when you bring on two players specifically to take penalties and they both miss, it is a very bad look. 
Yeah, uh, this is really interesting for me. So I I retweeted a, a Twitter thread earlier today um, looking into a study on penalties and every result from that study is completely in line with the decisions that Southgate made, which shows that the strongest correlation with scoring is youth and match freshness. So the decision to bring on young players, to go with young players, to bring them on the last possible minute is completely in line with that study. And I find that really interesting. Now, whether they're, whether you're happy with that study's completeness, whether you think that like freshness reaches a point where you probably want to have had the touch of the ball, whether the fact that they don't study race at all, especially with English players and the abuse that English players get on terms, in, in racial terms, um, is, is sort of forgotten in the decisions made. I think that those are fair criticisms. But I, uh, I think Southgate took some really interesting risks and made some really interesting decisions. And I think that if... Rashford's penalty is seven millimeters yeah. over to the right. Then we're having a very different conversation about what a genius Southgate is to take those risks. So, um, I mean, essentially, I feel like we you can't put the blame on Gareth Southgate for English fans and England being a racist society and fan base like mm. if 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 Saka and Rashford are saying I want to take the penalty you can't say no because you're black and you'll face all sorts of abuse if you miss because like I mean for no other reason someone's got to take the seventh eighth and ninth penalty mm. at a later stage anyway right mm. so I, I I don't think that you can sort of prepare for the racism I think you have to make your decisions against it and around it and I think yeah, I mean, it's a tough one. And, I, I, and, and I, not... I, I really get what you're saying, and I, 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 pre- I appreciate the studies as well. I, and I've got no problem with Saka taking a penalty at all, but not the fifth one, not in that situation. Like even, even like, had it got to f- the fourth one last night, and we, and he saw what was happening, there's still time to change it and to not let Saka step up mm. and take that. And I really think that would have been the right thing to do, regardless of the studies. It just, I'm not a soothsayer. I, I don't claim to be a soothsayer. As soon as I saw Saka walking up, I had a lot to drink. I wasn't like thinking methodically, tactically. I wasn't thinking sensibly. I, without thinking, I just started saying no, 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 no. And my girlfriend's looking at me going, why? What's going, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm just going, no, no, no. And I couldn't say anything else other than the word no, because I could see what was going to happen. I knew, like, Mm. it just felt so obvious to me that the narrative was that Saka, this 19-year-old black kid, would miss the last penalty. And it was painful before he even took it. Even more painful when I saw the state of the fucking penalty. Um, it was it was a really really poor decision in my eyes. I mean, I, I but again, I appreciate the studies. I appreciate the the fact that he probably did look at evidence um, to, to back up his decision. I'd love to get Alex Doyle's thoughts on this as our um, hmm. as our yeah. as our resident sports psychologist, who's literally an expert in um, in bottling big moments, and <sighs> to get his uh, to get his views on on that shootout because I'm sure he'd had lots of interesting things to say. I think I think England in particular have like a bad at penalties because we fear penalties yeah. and we fear penalties because sure. we're bad at penalties and it's this sure. uh, one of Galaxy's thoughts but it's this really horrible sort of negative spiral in which <laughs> we will have to win three on the bounce for it to begin to turn because because like <laughs> I the I watched it with family members right and they're all terrified of penalties and the commentators are terrified of penalties yeah. and the entire national mood around them is oh no we're gonna go to penalties and like if that's the mentality go, you've already lost right and, and the manager of the that. team the most famous thing that's ever happened to him is he missed the penalty mm, yeah 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 pickford was gonna be seventh or eighth no seventh pickford was gonna be the seventh taker 
Uh, Phillips was going to be six, by the way. Okay, that's the, that's oh, the level that's... of interesting thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Pickford. Wow, what a performance from him in the shootout. Jesus Christ! I mean, he had a fantastic game generally, but he really turned up for the shootout. <laughs> right, but Donnarumma is maybe the best penalty saver mm. in the world mm. after what Handanovic. Mm. Um, uh, just an absolute. Yeah, monster. yeah, yeah. He his, makes it cool and yeah, it's his, his ability to just leap, to get a standing leap mm. and cover his way to the post. He's he's an absolute freak. Yeah, he's um, never lost a penalty shootout. Oh, Jesus, I think that's mad. I think his penalty save ratio is maybe sixty something. It's ridiculous. Um, I on, I want to touch on what Nathan said. And I think it's really pretty true about England just are scared of penalties. Mm. Um, one of the, actually one of the good things about Italy winning this is I can keep referencing Italy without you saying ah oh, shut up you lost, <laughs> you lost the final. So in um, obviously Italy like England got knocked out of the World Cup in '90 on penalties. They lost the final in '94 on penalties. And they lost to France in 98 on penalties. And then in 2000, we, we came up against the Dutch. And I think the Dutch were the only team other than England who were worse at penalties than us. And <laughs> they missed four penalties. I think they missed two during the game. And then they, they, they missed three in the shootout. And I think that got Italy over the stumbling block. Mm. Of course, they still lose penalties. They, we lost in 2008 to Spain on penalties. We lost the Confederations Cup semi to Spain again on penalties. So we still do lose them. But you're right. You need that big time pressure yes. penalty shooter. And I don't think that Colombia one was quite it for you. Yeah. I think you're going to need a slightly higher pressure game. And once you get over that, then, then it will just flow and you'll become more relaxed. Um, I was at the Spain semi-final and I had my seat was right behind the goal where the penalties were, be ta were being taken. And Donnarumma, is, he, he's a unit. And he he makes the goal look like a five-a-side goal. It's incredible <laughs> how small he, he makes it look. Because then the difference of when Simon stood in the goal, uh, yeah, and you could see the spaces. But um, I do want to give a quick shout-out to Pickford because I, am, I have been kind of bad against him. I've said some bad things about him. But I thought he had a cracking tournament and I thought he made some great saves. And that penalty save from Jorginho is mm. one of the best I've ever seen. Really that was good. an incredible save. That's that's the right approach to um, Jorginho penalties as well, isn't it? He outsiked him. Patience, yeah. patience. Yeah. You have to be brave. Um, yeah, Bardi. When it went to penalties, did you just feel ultra confident? Um, not ultra confident, but quite relaxed. I was I was in that kind of mindset where I would be, would play better, and I thought we were going to win. I was confident that we would win, just because. It makes no sense. I just thought the, the football gods would be, yeah, you're a better team. You play better. You'll win, <laughs> which is totally ridiculous. Um, yeah, so I was a little bit confident. But um, when Jorginho missed, I thought, holy shit. Because I think with Jorginho missing, had Saka put that yeah. away, I think it would have swung. Because if your greatest penalty taker misses, then that will, that will send shockwaves through your team. And I, I'm not sure who would have step, stepped up next. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I always find penalties interesting in in one sense, but I also just hate absolutely hate penalties. It, like not just because they're unbearable to watch, but because I just think it's an awful way to settle a, a yeah. very by that point very long game of football. Um, and it you know it's not a lottery, but it is a lottery. It's not a lottery because you can practice, you can rehearse, you can perfect, you can look at data, but it is a lottery because sometimes the 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 wobbles just get to you before and it's it's really hard and also i don't like the way that it just puts it, it it suddenly creates this intense individual pressure in a team sport um but what there's been lots of analysis of marcus rashford's run up 
Which, I mean, in some ways, it's not dissimilar to Jorginho in terms of the stuttering. There's still forward momentum, but there's there's a stutter. Um, what do you make of that, Nathan? Um, I Well, again, like I said earlier, if he puts it at seven millimetres over yeah. towards the right, then he's scored. He, he, he uses his run to successfully turn the keeper the wrong way. Mm. Um, his, his, his failure to find a target is so much less about technical ability. Like, if you think that Marcus Rashford can't hit the spot he wants to hit, like, like 19 times out of 20, mm. when you take away the pressure of the occasion, like, it's, it's just, it's not a technical situation. It's, it's completely mm. a mental one. Um, yeah, you're right that, like, penalty isn't really a fair way to decide a tournament. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Wendy, but I'm pretty sure what you're saying is that uh, it should go to expected goals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you lose the real golden goal? No, yeah, but just not not on this particular occasion. <laughs> okay. In, in future. Oh, but can you imagine the arguing over which methodology you used to work it out? <laughs> <laughs> then Nick, he would just be blocking shots. That's that's what you'd do. It's, it's a bit you like the Duckworth. The it's, it's a bit like the Duckworth Lewis method in cricket, mm. isn't it? Of uh, of settling matches through expected results. I mean, you'd really upset proper football. Proper football men would lose their mind if that's how it was done. I love it. I love it. That's that's <laughs> exactly why it should be completely embraced. So, extra time has finished. Uh, one all. We will now go to the Michael Cayley method to determine who Victor is. Yes, <laughs> love it. Why not? Um, Mohammed Thirty, who is uh, who's who's so good with uh, questions, says: Does England have any central midfielders coming through, e.g., Busquets, Pedri, Verratti, that can help change the style of play to be slicker and more possession dominant? Type of midfield that can both control the game and allow the young attacking talent Sancho Etol to thrive. Um, but you kind of hinted at this earlier in terms of changing. The, the midfielders. I have to say, I thought Rice and Phillips have both played well. To be fair, you know, essentially they're a man down there, and they they covered a lot of ground between them. And Phillips in particular, I thought was was really good in extra time. But Rice, I thought until he got substituted, was terrific. And I thought Phillips had a great tournament generally. But I also am up for for switching one of them out um, or or adding a third midfielder there. Um, Buddy, anyone you think that would fit in well to the England team? Well, I haven't seen much of Bellingham, but from everyone, the way everyone talks about him, perhaps him, and it, it just completely changes the game. If obviously, if you if you can control the ball further up the pitch, you can put you can create overloads. You can get players into positions where they can hurt the opposition. And if England could have done that and put Grealish in a situation where he could commit Italian defenders, perhaps the game would have been different. But um, I think Nathan probably knows more about Bellingham, but I, I, I guess him. Or um, Oliver Skip. Bellingham's a, a, a sort of a box to box. He yeah. can carry the ball. He he's you know he has a capable passing range. Uh, but he's he's sort of a, an attacking. Well, I guess he's sort of more of a sort of a Lampard Gerrard throwing back, which is obviously you know uh, we we've done that. Um, yeah, I mean this has always been England's longest issue and, and does continue to persist. Winks was sort of the closest England have had to a controlling, uh, you know, tempo-setting midfielder, and he just hasn't realised that potential at all. Um, oh, uh, McEachern, the younger McEachern, George, at Chelsea, he really impressed me at the uh, under-17s World Cup that, that Foden and Sancho um, were incredible at, and Hudson Adoy too. Um, so I don't know how his development is coming along. Mm. But yeah, this is something that we really lack. Uh, and but we'll we'll get there. 
Could this be a? Could you convert Foden into a deeper, deeper line midfielder? You can't now, but I think that when you have a thirteen or fourteen year old Foden, you have to stop putting them all as number tens and wides. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. You, that is exactly what I was just about to say. We we are obsessed with um, pushing our talented players further forward and not just allowing them to be in the middle of midfield. Um, I'm, yeah, it's it's very easy to sort of want to create just side to side players um, in midfield and actually be a bit braver. Have some have some players in there that can pass the ball and have a first touch. I I, I think. That's definitely a really good, valid point. We've got some quality players, got some quality midfielders coming through who I think can make a difference. So I think Bellingham absolutely is one. I think Eberechi Eze, you know, um, could could have been um, a, a midfield linchpin, but I suspect he might not choose England. Um, we'll see. Um, Tommy Doyle of Man City is, is meant to be very good. I haven't seen much of him. Lewis Bates of Chelsea is meant to be very good. I haven't seen much of him. Pff, who knows? There's, there's got to be someone sooner or later that breaks through and um, and can challenge. But I'm, I'm happier now with our central midfield options than I have been for a while, put it that way. And I, de- I definitely think as a three, like we can make a good three with the players we've got, including Bellingham. Um, we've certainly not got a Verratti. We've certainly not got a Jorginho. Or a Locatelli spare on the bench. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the fair, depth is, is mad, isn't it? Yeah. I thought Cristante was very good. I was a bit concerned. I'm a bit of a Barella fanboy, but uh, I thought Cristante... I, I shout out. I'm not a Mancini fan, to be honest. I, I think he he loses his mind a little bit when things go <laughs> against him, and I thought we could see moments of that in the first half. He lost his call, cool and that translated onto the players. He's not a very calming influence, and um, eventually he got his shit together and he thought about how to tackle this problem, and he he fixed it. He took off Barella. He took off Immobile, who's the worst player to ever have collected a winner's medal. He's so bad. Should and have been Belotti. No, no, no. Belotti is even worse. I, really? I just okay. just play with ten men. I, I, <laughs> just uh, so, such a barren wasteland for strikers. It's awful. Um, but going to a false nine really helped us overload the midfield even more and and opened up that game. And um, I thought Cristante and Berardi were were very good. And Mancini spotted that because Immobile going um, shoulder to shoulder or hip to hip against Maguire that was a competition he was never going to win. Mm. Right. We'll uh, we'll give you Calvert Lewin if you give us Locatelli, and then we'll both be complete nations. Do you know what? I think we'd do all right. With, I think we'd do all right with Calvert Lewin. I would I would take him. But I'm not sure I'd give up Locatelli. You can have um, Pessina, who's also very good. Yeah, the depth is mad. Um, do you want to do some more, or do we stop there? Let's do it. Yeah. Um, Eddingson says, I feel Wolves scored a lot from set pieces, haven't checked their stats. Is this a common thing in Nuno's sides? Nathan, you've done some bit of research on set pieces so far. I suspect there's more to come. Yeah, so someone hasn't watched my video. Uh, but yes, yeah, I... Uh, uh, so Valencia scored 20 set-piece goals, making up uh, 28% or something of their, the goals they scored that season. And then that's also consistently the case at Wolves. They've hit 10, 11 and 11 set-piece goals, consistently getting between 20 and 30% of their total goals from set-pieces. So yes, what I haven't looked into yet is whether it's because they are specifically good from set pieces, like they have plays from set pieces, they have ploys, they're good at getting people free, or they simply, because of their play style, just generate so many um, corners 
and generate so many free kicks and have big players that they are sort of resulting in goals. My suspicion is there are some clever ideas going on in set pieces because that's just such a return. Like for Wolves, who had so little of the ball to to return 11 set piece goals uh, speaks to something. But yeah, uh, I think so. I think so. I would bet a bit of both. Um, yeah, it's definitely both. It's definitely both. A, a, t- definitely... a team playing with lots of wing play will naturally win lots of corners. Yeah, uh, but also they've they've got lots of had lots of good one on one players, and therefore you'd expect a lot of free kicks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got lots of good one on one players, and and should be winning lots of free kicks too. So being able to profit from them would be would be mighty handy. Um, Peter Strom says, "I read somewhere that we'd make up to six signings. What do you think about that? And what do we need?" <laughs> yeah, this is. I mean, we we want lots of turnover in our squad, don't we? We want to see players leave. We want to see new players come in. But you you then have this problem of, is there too much change? Is there, you know, we've already got Sessegnon and Skip coming back into the side or into the, the squad from loan. Are we now saying, like, c- can we possibly settle in eight new players? That's a, a hell mm. of a turnover. You need some continuity. Where's the Where's the balance, Bardi? There isn't really. I don't think you can. I don't think we've got the money to get six players anyway. Um, unless, unless, we unless we sell some, 12. Well, unless we, unless unless we, we sell, sell Kane. Harry Kane. Yeah, unless we sell Kane. Um, I don't think we need six. I think we just need three, three decent signings and that will see us forward. I mean, there's a difference between like selling Gareth Bale and, and buying seven first 11 quality players or uh, in, in te- attempted <laughs> seven mm. first 11 quality players. There's a difference between bringing in six players who you want to improve the first 11 this season. And I think that if we bring in, you know, uh, a starting centre-back, a starting right-back, and it looks like we're looking at um, midfield competition as fairly high at the priority list, which is uh, an interesting one. Uh, that's a whole podcast or video series on its own, mm. but... Um, I think that if you're looking at like bringing in three first eleven players, and then you're like, oh, well, we need to replace Winks as a squad player. We need to replace Lamella as a squad player. We need to replace Lucas as a squad player. Then like it's not it's not quite so dr- as dramatic as it seems because you're bringing in players who you're not expecting to see much of the game until December as it is, and it's not that big a worry. Yeah, I think that's a very reasonable take. And then you've got the Conference League to sort of. Yeah. ease them in yeah. gradually and kind of getting used to I mean the, the thing is the whole team's going to be learning a new style of play anyway so it's probably not a bad time to have a bit of a squad refresh we desperately need it I mean all the players you mentioned there yes absolutely <laughs> sell them shoot them into the sun um, add in Aurier and, and several others too and you know Bale's gone Vinicius is gone there's there's heavy turnover there will continue to be heavy turnover it sounds like Paratici is incredibly active already in terms of his negotiations this is a facet of his his style is that he he has lots of irons in the fire um constantly and i think that's why sort of nuno is maybe accidentally a good fit for sort of a transitional period where we make that turnover in the squad do you want something a bit steady you want something a bit easy mm. uh, a friendly face a, 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 a coach in terms of individual player development um and, and just get those changes over the next next 18 months yeah, yeah, that makes that makes complete sense to me. I must admit, I'm a bit confused about the midfield, but yeah, let's save that for next time. Um, Bardi, let's end on this one. Top mm. five pastors to throw at your English friends. That is from <laughs> Chicago. I think um, 
I think in terms of being able to launch it and cause damage, I think Farfalle, the butterfly one, mm-hmm. kind of like you could like pew, ninja star them out the back of your hand at someone's head. That would be a pretty good one. Or Big Rigatoni, you could kind of chuck them. But I reckon if I had to pick one, I'd go for the butterfly pasta, the dried uh, butterfly pasta. Fusilli dried his sharp corners. Oh well, yeah, Fuzili, he's a pretty good one as well. You could ping them around. You're a spiteful little shit, Nathan, aren't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Buddy, I could um I I reckon I could throw a can of ravioli at you. Can? <laughs> yeah. You could you could try. You would well you might hit me at the moment because I can't move. Properly, Not the pasta, the can. <laughs> the can. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Shit. Disgusting stuff as well. It's rank get, knock, get knocked unconscious by the worst form of pasta ever. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, it's been fun. Uh, it's cheered me up a bit. I, I genuinely have felt really down today. Um, oh, I am pleased for you, buddy. I am pleased. I, I'm glad it was Italy. That's the thing. I'm, if it had to be anyone, at least allow it to be Italy, who I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed watching this tournament. What a tournament as well. Honestly, such a good tournament. Like, one of the best in my lifetime. Um, and not just because England did well. Just some brilliant games and some storylines and... And the amazing thing that Denmark squad did, and God, it's just been, it's been fantastic. I'm going to really miss it. It has been good. It's been refreshing. It's been a change. Um, you're right. The the whole Ericsson story was it, it's so so amazing that he that he survived and he's doing okay. And then of course for me it's even sweeter that Italy Italy won it. So, uh, but I, in in general it has been like, the the France Switzerland game sticks out. It's just an unbelievable match. And I think it was the same day where we had Croatia versus Spain, and then straight after France Switzerland, and that was just a great great day of football. The first Netherlands match as well stands out as a as a wild ride. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Was it against Ukraine? I want to say. I think it was Netherlands it was Ukraine. Ukraine. Yeah, that was a cracker. Was. Uh, yeah, just crikey, some some great matches. Lots of fun. Fabio Paratici is known for negotiating for up to ten players at a time. Uh, firstly, is that that unusual? Secondly, should that be that unusual? And thirdly, that's a nightmare for me because I'm never going to know which players we're strongly linked with. <laughs> I think that is, I think that is probably more normal than we realise. Yeah, well, we're always like consistently linked with dozens of players every window that we don't sign. Yeah, because that's what you do. I, the difference is like between like scouting a player and actually actively entering the negotiation stage, right? But like, I don't know why that wouldn't be the case. Why you wouldn't be sort of sniffing around with the ideas of bids? Because like, essentially, if you're scouting and creating a profile of a player, like they're this old, mm. here are their strengths on the pitch, here are the positions they can play, here are their weaknesses on the pitch, mm. uh, here's what the personality is like. Because we did a psychological report. All of that kind of information, but like, and they're probably going to cost somewhere of the region of X to Y. It's like, well, why not? Why not scout that information by talking to their club? Yeah, exactly. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? We've probably done all the first bit before because we've got a scouting department, but now yeah. we have a guy whose literal job is to negotiate with clubs. So we'll do that bit as well. It makes sense. It just fits. You know, you, you've identified your 10 midfield players for the position that you like. Just go and inquire about all of them. Why not? And that's why there's all these links now, because on the player's side, the information will come out um, and, and you'll start hearing it. And also, from what it sounds, from everything I've read, Paratici is much more open about everything, generally. He's 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 a communicative dude. We were going to hear a lot from him, I think. I think um, lots more of our operations will be done in public compared to how they've been done with Daniel Levy previously. The world is our canteen. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's all or nothing all over again. Um, and this time it's got an Italian twist. 
You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.